Good morning, church. Um, I'm Tommy, as you just heard. Um, I'll be speaking to you uh, from the book of Luke, uh, from chapter 11, verses 37, all the way through to chapter 12, uh, right up to verses 7. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at a table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These she ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of prophets from whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they kill them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel and the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who are entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to say to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Chapter 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered to together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, this which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the rooftops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. After that, have nothing more. After that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why? Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So, Father, we thank you for this word. We pray, Lord, that you will convict us from your word. We pray, Lord, that you will challenge us from your word. We pray that you will do the work that you want to do in our lives through this word. In Jesus' name, amen.
And here we see Jesus Christ again receive an, an invitation from uh, the Pharisee, which is not the first time Jesus Christ had received an invitation from the Pharisee in the book of Luke. And again, after receiving an invitation, Jesus Christ accepted it. We see here the heart of Jesus Christ, the heart that will go to wherever he is invited to. Whoever wants to give him a, hear, a, a, a hearing, he will or go to the house and he will speak to them. He will sup with them. He will dine with them. That is the nature of Jesus Christ. He holds no partiality. And that's what we see here. But as Jesus Christ sits down and, and decides to, to recline at the, uh, at the table, there was a, uh, an astonishment across the room. The host, the person who invited Jesus Christ is astonished. And even the people in the room were astonished. And what is it they were astonished at? They were astonished at the fact that Jesus Christ will sit down, ready to have the meal, without washing. Now, to us, this may sound a bit trivial. What's the big deal? Like, why does Jesus Christ need to have a big wash before a meal? Sure, we might argue he might need to wash his hands, but nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing ceremonial, nothing big. All we don't understand is that this culture was a culture that had developed centuries um, from the Talmudic, from the, 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 the Torah, uh, the diverse centuries of rituals around the idea of washing. Uh, and this is a, a, a glance or a look through scriptures in the Old Testament will show you at least 30 different occasions where the, 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 the practice of washing was used to purify um, the, the members of the community of the people of God. We see this in the book of Numbers. We see this in Leviticus. We, we see this, for example, where the, the, the man who touches a dead animal um, is required to wash. So an animal that's been uh, essentially um, killed by a, a wild beast, um, being touched by someone, that person needs to be washed before they are deemed purified and clean and acceptable within the com community of, of the Hebrews. Um, we see also um, in, in, in the book of Numbers, Numbers 8, 5 to 7, that water is used to consecrate the priest and to purify the priest. We see that in Deuteronomy 23, 9 to 11, that soldiers themselves, when they go into battle, there's certain times that they are required to wash themselves to make themselves purified to join the rest of the army, right? We see this in, in the book of Leviticus in in, in um chapter 15 verses 14 to 13 where washing has a sort of a, a hygienic um but purif purifying um effect on 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 the male within within a population and so water it seems has this very unique effect where it washes people it cleans them and makes them more acceptable to god and so after years of uh, reading what this this law is and trying to develop a system from this, the, the Pharisees and the law, lawyers of the day, of, of in the time of Jesus, had developed a codex, essentially, where the, the ritual washing had become a, a highly elevated practice that those who needed to be pure and clean before God needed to carry out, right? So this was something that was a big deal in the time of the Pharisees. Now, it would be like us um, in our time, going um, to a, 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 a service, a public service uh, just off the highway um, and going, to the, going to, into the toilet, witnessing a man use the, 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 the toilet, walk out of the toilet and then go to McDonald's without washing his hand. 
that would be a scandal to us. We, we would tell the first person we can see, like, that guy just used the toilet and didn't wash his hands. And this is what it was like for the disciples, uh, for, for the Pharisees who saw Jesus Christ. They were scandalized by the fact that he didn't wash his hands or wash, wash or carry out, not just wash his hands, but carry out this ritualistic washing of purification before he engaged in eating. But this is where we see things turn. We see Jesus' attitude and Jesus' demeanor and the sound and tone of his voice completely change. Jesus' re response to the Pharisees upon their astonishment was just a, a withering and unrelent unrelenting um, response. We see Jesus use language that was that is very harsh. It would be fair for us to recoil just at how harsh Jesus spoke at the Pharisees. And he didn't just speak harshly to the host, he spoke harshly to the guests of the host, the other friends of the Pharisee. Imagine being the, the child or the wife or the servant and just witnessing your master get absolutely lampooned by the guest. At one point, one of the lawyers says, teacher, you insult us. And Jesus just carries on leaning to them. This isn't, this something seems a bit out of character for Jesus here. Jesus is known as the man who will stop people from stoning a prostitute. He was known for bringing mercy and bringing gentleness and bringing kindness and bringing grace. So, so what is it here that, that's triggered Jesus to, to give such a, a very uh, angry response to the Pharisees? In his response, Jesus makes known three, three, three things that we have to be aware of. The first thing is that Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy. Secondly, he has zero tolerance for empty religion. And thirdly, he has zero tolerance for false teachers. In Luke eleven thirty nine, 39, Jesus said to them, Now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Here, Christ highlights that despite the Pharisees' obsession with cleaning and ritual wash, ritualistic washing, they were far away from God. They remained unacceptable to God because they were filled with greed. They were filled with this obsession for wealth and status. And they were also filled with wickedness. They did not have compassion. They didn't have mercy. In Luke eleven forty two, Jesus points out how the Pharisees meticulously tithe. They will separate out herbs and, and little spices and, and give a tenth of that to a priest or give it to the temple. Jesus says, you are so meticulous about doing this tithing and tithing very, very little insignificant things, but you neglect justice and you have no regard for God. You do not love God. And this is what Jesus was really driving at. Now, Jesus isn't saying tithing is bad or we shouldn't um, take tithing seriously. He says you should do these things, but don't neglect justice. Don't neglect God. The Pharisees were renowned for going out into the marketplace and, and being very showy and wanting everybody to see how well they, how pious they were. And they greeted each other loudly. And Jesus said to them, it's not enough that you do all the spies, then that you wash when the inside is dirty. 
There is no point in washing the outside of the cup if the inside is filthy. Now there is a question here for us, which is what are we prioritizing in our lives? What, 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 what is the posture of our hearts towards God? What are our motives? What is the driver of our lives? Are we driven by wealth, status for, uh, for, of, of wealth? Are we driven by uh, a desire to be recognized by people? Are we driven by power? Are we driven by money? Are we driven by, um, by the affirmation of men? Are we driven by the love of God? Do we, do we want to please God in the decisions we make in life? Have we invented uh, a new religion? Have we substituted the religion of Christ for another religion? Have we neglected justice? Have we forgotten our first love that is God? Secondly, empty religion. In Luke eleven forty four. Jesus refers to the Pharisees as unmarked graves. I think the best way to describe this is imagining you are on a, a large field with beautiful and the most colorful flowers you can ever think about. And a few inches underneath the soil are masses of rotten corpses that you would have no idea about. And this is what Jesus, this is how Jesus describes the Pharisees. He says to the Pharisees that you are like very beautiful fields of flowers. Everybody walks past and everybody goes, wow, this is beautiful. But inside you are completely dead. James, the brother of Jesus says in James chapter 1 verses 27, it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit the orphans and widows and to keep oneself unstained from the corruption of the world. You see, the Pharisees had very little interest in true religion. They had very little interest in, in, in widows and orphans and helping them. Now, don't get me wrong. The Pharisees did give to widows and orphans. But they didn't do it because they loved God. They did it because they wanted to be recognized. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 1 to 4, um, um, don't, don't, don't give like the Pharisees and the publicans give. When you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand do, because they do it to show off. But when you give, you give as if you give to your Father in heaven. They had no interest in, in pleasing God. It was about how do I look before men? And this is another question for us. Are we keeping ourselves from the corruption of this world? Are we watching the words that come out of our mouth, the thoughts that we let dwell in our minds, the fruits that our lives bear. Are we visiting those needs? Are we visiting family members or brothers and sisters in, in, in Christ that we haven't seen for a long time? We've, we've heard might be going through some challenges, but we haven't taken the time to speak to them to pray with them, to um, drop off something at, at, at their place. Know that we care, that we are here, and that we want to walk through with them. Have we neglected those things? Have we substituted true religion, which is helping those who are in needs, keeping oneself undefiled, and keeping oneself from the corruption of this world? Have we forsaken that and replaced it with gimmicks? 
or replace it with things that look wonderful on the outside but are dead on the inside. We cannot afford to be empty drums, Christians. Christ demands that we practice true religion, that we serve those that he's placed around us, our neighbors, our family members, our friends. Let us not use COVID regulations as a, as a way of not serving one another. Let us serve. Despite the restrictions, let us find a way to serve. I know I'm guilty about this. When I was studying and going through the word in this, I was being convicted heavily that I make up excuses for why I can't go and, and give someone a phone call or why I can't take the time to find out how they're doing and how I can be of help. I was convicted of this. And thirdly, Jesus cannot abide false teachers. You see, Jesus regarded the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and associated them as with, with people that murdered the old prophets of Israel. And in doing so, Jesus was pointing out something. He says, you are just like your fathers who murdered the prophets. Jesus also was also pointing out that they would also carry out his own murder, just like their fathers and their ancestors did. Jesus said in Luke eleven fifty two, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you did not enter yourself, and you hindered those who were entering. And when I read this, I, I came to the understanding, this is why Jesus was truly upset. You see, Jesus' mission on earth is to come to seek and save the lost. But what we have here is a, a group of people, a cabal, as it were, that have essentially blocked the way to eternal life by bringing rules and regulations and, and burdensome uh, um, edicts that the people cannot live up to. So the people are chasing this goal, this, this, this uh, illusion of salvation when they've completely missed it. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, it's okay if you don't want to go into heaven. It's okay if you don't want to enter into the kingdom of God. But why do you stop others who are trying to enter? Why are you being such an obstacle? And this is the problem with false teachers and false teaching. It's the fact that they represent a blockage for the salvation of those who are trying to enter into heaven, into the kingdom of God. It is at this point that we realize that Jesus Christ is not just motivated by anger, as it might have uh, looked like at the start, but he's actually motivated by love. He wants to see people saved. He doesn't want people to be separated from God for eternity. That's why he's so passionate about this. He wants to see people enter into the kingdom of God. And so we go into Christ's warning. In Luke 12, Jesus left the Pharisees. And now you've got a, a massive crowd just pushing in. And Jesus Christ speaks to his disciples and he says to them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, for those who might be into baking and have made bread or have worked with yeast, you know that once you put yeast into your dough, it works its way around the dough. And very soon you see the effects of the yeast through the entire body of, of, of what you're trying to bake. And the interesting thing about yeast is once it's worked its way in, it becomes 
very difficult, practically impossible, I'd say, to remove. That's why Christ says to, to, his, to his disciples, look, you've got to guard yourself. This is very important. This is an issue of life and death. You have to guard yourself against the yeast of the Pharisee. Guard yourself against a double standard life, a double uh, uh, type of life, a hypocritical life. Why is this? Why is this so important that we guard ourselves? If we allow hypocrisy and, 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 and the, the deliberate, calculated living out of a double standard life, if we allow that to take root in our lives, it will, it will corrupt our faith. It will compromise our religion. It will compromise our love for God. It will compromise our desire for justice and mercy. It will make us completely unable to bear fruits that is worthy of the kingdom of God. And finally, Jesus Christ will never have anything to do with unrepentant hypocrites. It says in, in Matthew's, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, it says, Many will come to me in that instance and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? And we did this in your name. And Christ has said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You profess to follow me. You profess to do all these things in my name. But in secret, you do other things that I do not approve of. So depart from me. That's what Christ says to his, his disciples. Beware of this. This, this, is, this is life and death stuff. If you allow hypocrisy to take root in your life, it could cost you your eternity. That's what Jesus Christ was saying to his disciples. You see, we can pretend before man, but God sees us as clear as the noonday sun. There is nothing that we can hide from him, which is why Christ said to them, he says that, you know, nothing that is done in secret will remain in secret, but will come out to light. And everything that is said and done in secret will be shouted out from the rooftops. So the question here is, how can we avoid the yeast of the Pharisees? How can we avoid a hypocritical life. How can we live plainly in the presence of God? In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, 13, 14, it says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandment. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring into deed into judgment, will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The entire duty of man, the entire duty of man is to fear God and to keep his command. That's the, that's the, if you say, what, what should I do on earth, Lord, that I can live before you and live before you plainly without living in hypocrisy or living in double standard? The writer of Ecclesiastes says that then your entire duty is to fear God and to keep his commands. That's all you need to do. You do that, you will avoid the yeast of the Pharisees. You see, the best way to live a life that is pure and pleasing to God is to fear him. 
What does this mean? What, what does it mean to fear God? Is it to cower in a corner? No, it means that we must acknowledge that God, not man, has the final say over our lives. We must acknowledge that it is, it is God that gives us our lives. And it is to him that our lives will one day return. And it is to him that we will give a full and final accounting to. If it's the case then that we're all going to pass away and we're all going to stand before God and he has the power not just over my physical body but he has the power over my spiritual body and the, the destiny of my soul. He has the power. He, he, he has the power over, over life, over death, both physical and spiritual life. He has the power. So who should I fear? Should I fear man that whose only power is over my physical body? Or should I fear one whose power is not just over my physical body, but over my spiritual body? What matters most is what God thinks of us, not what man thinks of us. So to fear God is very simple. Fearing God means to simply obey his commands. You see, even in their hypocrisy, the Pharisees lived in fear. And this is what, it's not very apparent at first when you, you, you look at the lives of the Pharisees, they look very confident. But in reality, they were afraid. They were afraid of what people think about them. They were afraid of, about how their fellow Pharisees saw them. They were afraid of how people will, will respect them. They wanted the affirmation and the approval of men and their com community. They weren't so much concerned for God, about God. They were concerned about how man, how man perceived them. That's why they were obsessed about the positions and the greetings that they had in the market, marketplace. And they were concerned about how people saw them when they gave tithing and how they gave alms. They were concerned about what people said, not what God said. In Luke 12, 6-7, Christ says, we shouldn't live in this kind of fear. We shouldn't be concerned about what we're going to eat, how accepted we're going to be by the people, how, how our sort of social status will look like. Don't be concerned about these things. Why? Because God knows how to look after you. After all, five sparrows in the time of Jesus Christ were sold for two pennies. But God looks after the sparrows. He feeds the sparrows. So... Animals that are worth just two pennies. God takes the time to feed them. How much more will he look after you? You see, you're not just worth more in the sense that you're made in his image. Yes, that's a big thing. But you want to know how much God cares for you? He sent his only son. Now, it might sound cliche, but Jesus Christ wasn't just, you know, a highly exalted being. Jesus Christ, it says in scriptures, is the very image of the Father. He couldn't send anything higher than that. He sent his very image to die the most undignified death for our sins. The, the, the judgment of God that was meant for us, the spiritual death meant for us, the crushing for, of our sins meant for us. Jesus Christ took it upon himself. That's how much God cares for us. 
So when we worry about what am I going to eat? Or what am I going to wear? Or if, if, I, if I say this, I might get fired. If I, if I speak the truth, I, I might lose my status. Christ said, God looks after the birds in the field. He takes the time to look after birds that die. Just, they, 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 they're worthless, relatively speaking. He takes the time to look after them. And if he can send his son to die for your sin and to provide you eternal life. You think he can't afford to find food for you? You think he can't afford to find housing and clothes for you? You think he can't afford to look after your family? If he sends his son to die for your sins, that will take you away from him for eternity. How much more would he give you in material things? You see, God cares so much for our physical provisions. But more than that, he cares for our spiritual provisions. And this is what Jesus Christ is trying to draw our hearts to. That we cannot live in fear. We cannot live in fear of this world. But we must fear God. We must obey his commands. Because in doing so, we will be a life that will bring much fruit this is the freedom that God has called us to this is what Christ is drawing our hearts to this morning so I implore you if you have been living in fear if you have um, been so worried and anxious about how things are going in the world I implore you today submit yourself to God Repent of your sins. Repent of the hypocrisy of a life that is not honoring of God. Turn to God. Turn to him today. Trust him. He will rescue you. And he will, he will provide everything you need. I thank you, Father, because... So great is your love that you send your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you because we are so inadequate. We are so hypocritical. We are so broken. But I thank you because your arms open wide to us. And all those that come to you, you never reject. And so, Father, I pray. I pray for those who are listening. Those who uh, say, I want to fear you. I want to walk faithfully before you. I pray, oh God, that you would, you would have mercy. That you would heal. That you would wash. That you would make them clean. Not by washing of mere water, but by the washing of, of your son. The blood of Jesus Christ. That you will give them your spirit. That you will give them your courage to walk in faith. To walk in, 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 in courage. To not live in fear. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alpha Online is a free course designed to give you the space and time to ask the big and often challenging questions about life, faith and meaning from the comfort of your own home.
No filters, just honest discussion. Alpha Online is made up of a film series which are designed to create conversations around topics such as how can I pray? Who is Jesus? What is the meaning of life? Why is there suffering in this world? Each week you will have an opportunity to watch a short video and then chat about it with a small group of people who, like you, are also grappling with life's big questions and no question is off limits. To attend an Alpha Online, all you have to do is sign up and then join a weekly online call, all from the comfort of your home. Everything else is taken care of by your hosts. So feel free to pour yourself a drink, get comfy, get your laptop ready, and you are good to go. What have you got to lose? Try Alpha Online.